0: Is real. There's power in your name. We trust in your ways. We need to be Jesus is real.
1: Because it's so easy to blame somebody. It's my spouse, it's my parents, it's the political party, it's This group of immigrants, it's this person or that person. It's the prophet of God. Because he has the audacity to tell me that what I'm doing doesn't honor Jesus. What I have learned in the hearts of humanity, there is always a scapegoat. There's always somebody who's to blame for the ills that I'm experiencing. There's always somebody who, if we're left up to our own devices, we
0: want to pass the buck on. Human nature tends to lead us to blame each other for our problems. We try to find reasons for the problems that are happening and want to give responsibility to someone. This doesn't solve any problems, as Pastor Daniel will point out today. We need to stop blaming others and instead allow God to step into our circumstances. He can begin to bring change, often in ways we could never have imagined. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, Severe and Supernatural. Jesus is real.
1: Try and imagine living in a walled city, which in that culture was the way to be protected from all of the things that could go on in the world, but now you have a an army that is circling around the city that you can't get anything in or out, and they're literally running out of food, and they're willing to spend exorbitant amounts of money to eat dove poop or the head of a donkey, which they would never have eaten in any other situation, and they're running out of supplies, and people are starving to death. And as you continue in this section here, it's amazing because we find that the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, and a woman cries out to him and says, my king, help. And he, you could see the king is beside himself, and he's struggling, and he reprimands the woman. He literally reprimands her that the Lord does not help you. Where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor, from the, it's like, look, I got nothing to give you. I can't help you. But after he's done getting upset with her, he asks her a question. And he says to her in effect What's troubling you And this woman tells him The most horrible story She says listen This woman came to me And she said give your son And we'll eat your son today And then tomorrow I'll give you my son And we'll eat him tomorrow And she says So I boiled my son And we ate him And now She hid her son. Now, this is horrible. But imagine living, and I'm not trying to justify this woman's actions, but try and imagine living where everybody is starving to death and your best option is killing your kids and eating them. I mean, who wants to have that thought? Who in their right mind would say, that, I mean, it's just the, even the idea of it is completely repulsive. But that's where they are right now. Their situation is so absolutely awful that this is a good idea in this woman's mind. Now, obviously I can make the application that if somebody wants to eat your kids, you should say no And if they want you to, and it's hard to make light of this, but it's like, don't eat yours first, maybe is a good application. But I bring this up because, you know, as a teacher, you read this stuff and you're like, okay. so what do you say about that? And the only thing I can come up with is sometimes life is just awful. Sometimes awful things go on. And many of you right now are walking through seasons, or maybe in the future you will walk through seasons, where things are just about as bad as you could imagine. Everything is going wrong. What's even more terrifying is that in the book of Deuteronomy, God told the children of Israel that this was going to happen if they forsook him. Listen to Deuteronomy 28, verses 52 and 53. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land, and they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your lands which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your own sons and your daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you. See, when God laid out for the children of Israel before they entered the promised land, what we're studying at our midweek gathering here at Crossroads... God said, look, I present before you blessings or cursings and if you follow me and if you fear me and if you're obedient to my ways, then you will experience all my blessings. But if you do not honor me and you do not fear me and you trust in the walls of your city and in your kings and in your other gods and you forsake my way, then this is going to be the outcome of it. And now you fast forward to 2 Kings chapter 6 and this is literally happening. Now... In this situation right here, when things are awful, everybody wants to blame God, right? That's what everybody does. This is why I can never believe. Why would God do this? Now listen, oftentimes it's not God's doing, it's the natural outgrowth of our rebellion against God. And we have to ask ourselves, what part do I play in it? Now, don't get me wrong, the blame game's been going on since the beginning of humanity. Everybody wants to look outside of themselves. It's always somebody else's fault. And always God lands with the hot potato of blame. But God said, I want to bless you. But you have a part to play in this. So we have to ask ourselves, what part of the awfulness of our situation are actually our responsibility? What part of the issues that we deal with are the natural outgrowth of rebellion against God? I've said it before. If I end up getting lung cancer at some point in my life I can't blame God for that Because I put a whole lot of things other than air in my lung Before I got saved I can't blame God for doing that I chose to do that even though I grew up in the just say no generation Can't blame God for that though It is the potential natural outgrowth of putting something other than Good old fashioned oxygen in my lungs See, sometimes things are awful. They just are. And I want to encourage you, because this story is going to be an encouragement that oftentimes God doesn't leave things awful. Like pain and struggles and issues, they're not pointless There's something for us to learn that we can only learn in the crucible of these things. Look at what happens from here. In verse 30, it says, Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes. And he passed by on the wall and the people looked and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body and he said, God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Saphat remains on him today. But Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, do you see how this Son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head. Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with him, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So the king hears this story, this horrible story of cannibalism within his own city, amongst his own people. And he hears that he literally tears his robes. Now, all through the Bible, we're reminded that the tearing of the robe was an expression of deep distress and sorrow. It was the way somebody showed that they were, their heart was breaking, that they were in mourning. And when they did that... It exposed that his undergarments were made of sackcloth, which was like a black goat's hair that was a sign of repentance and self-affliction. So the king was, as he's watching the awful reality of the situation of of his kingdom, of his city, he's also repenting and he's afflicting his own body. But what's amazing is, is that although we have this tearing of the robes and this sackcloth, these... Outward signs Notice what he says in verse 31 He says God do so to me And more so also If the head of Elisha The son of Saphat Remains on him today This is important When things are awful Don't lash out Don't lash out See The king wants to blame Elisha Now is what's going on Elisha's fault? No No At best, Elisha's job was to explain why it was happening. He wasn't the cause of it. But in the king's mind, this is Elisha's fault. It's God's inside man. The reason God is not blessing this city or my kingdom is because of that stinky prophet Elisha and his true, real, biblical spirituality. See, when you lash out in times of affliction, it is never rational. It's never rational. He says, oh, yeah, this is so bad. If I pray that the Lord would kill me if I don't kill Elisha by the end of the day. And he actually sends a guy. It says here, he sends a guy to go get him. Now, meanwhile, Elisha is sitting in his house. And the elders are sitting with him. Now, what's amazing is, is you ask yourself, why is Elisha sitting in his house with the elders of the region? Probably because they're like, Elisha, what is going on? Why is things so terrible? They're most likely looking for counsel. And Elisha, because he's God's inside man, knows exactly what's going on. He says, listen. (laughs) He says to them, do you see how the son of a murderer I sent someone to take off my head? See, in the king's mind, he can't even take responsibility for his fallen leadership. He just wants to blame somebody. Now, listen. This has been going on since the foundation of humanity and it goes on so much today. It is so easy to find someone to blame. The reason this is going on is because of that person or that group of people or these people or that and it's not rational. It's not rational. I want you to sit down for one second and think to yourself, who do I have a tendency to blame for my issues? Who's the people who are on the hook for the things that are awful in my life? And you need to write that down and you need to make a commitment in your own heart that you're going to stop blaming the wrong people. Because it's so easy to blame somebody. It's my spouse. It's my parents. It's the political party. It's this group of immigrants. It's this person or that person. It's the prophet of God. Because he has the audacity to tell me that what I'm doing doesn't honor Jesus. What I have learned in the hearts of humanity, there is always a scapegoat. There's always somebody who's to blame for the ills that I'm experiencing. There's always somebody who, if we're left up to our own devices, we want to pass the buck on. What's interesting is this king is completely lacking in self-reflection. And you gotta love Elijah. He's like, you see this son of a murderer? It's like the king doesn't realize that even his desire to kill Elisha because he's mad is part of the problem. He doesn't even get it. Now you can make the case, well, given the extremity of how bad this situation, how extreme it is, cut the king a little slack. And the answer is no. God doesn't grade on a curve. Like righteousness is dependent on how bad things are. The ways of God are the ways of God, my friends. And it's amazing how I start studying this and I start saying, Lord, what do you have for the Crossroads family? Lord, what are you speaking to us? And God's laying this stuff in my heart like, look, we're this exact same way except the situation isn't nearly as bad as there, but we have a tendency to want to let ourselves off the hook. My life's so stressful, so what's the big deal that I drink all this beer and get drunk and I'm a lousy husband, father, Oh, man, you don't even know my wife. You'd want to pop nine pills if you were married to her. You don't even know. My husband only hears me if I berate him incessantly. And we have this idea that because the situation's bad, then my sinful behavior is okay. But my friends, it's not. And I'm not preaching down on anybody Because I'm living in the same world you're living in. I got the same things going on in my world that you have. Yeah, maybe the details are different, but I got my own stuff that God's showing me. He's like, look, just because the situation is challenging doesn't mean I give you the free pass on acting that way. My standard is my standard. Because it's my standard. And my spirit wants you to rise above it and be different. And your relationship with me blood-bought by Jesus is going to make sure that happens if you're willing to hear and change. So my friends, don't lash out. Who are you lashing out at? Who's the person who you've decided is the right person to blame for the situation? And we need to stop doing that. We need to say instead, Lord, you know the situation is awful. And Lord, you know I've already figured out all the people I'm going to blame for this, who I'm going to frame for it, who I'm going to make sure everybody knows that my thought in life is because of that person. And you just to say, you know, Lord, what are you trying to do right now? What are you trying to show me? What are you trying to reveal in me and to me? It's amazing because I see it so clear in my kids. I love my kids so much. It's so easy for kids to blame each other for the things that go on. And then you start thinking about your own life. You're like, wow, it's so easy for me as a grown up kid. So easy to blame. I believe right now, I believe right now that there are a ton of marriages right now that the fact that someone has chosen to blame your spouse is the single thing that is creating the awful scenario of your marriage right now. That you've decided that because of them, things would be different if they weren't there and it's their issues, now it's becoming your issues. You need to stop that right now. That is how Satan is destroying your family. There. Just turn and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've decided that it's my spouse's fault. It's not their fault. They're a sinner in need of salvation too. And you got your own stuff too. Every time I go to the Lord, I'm like, Lord, you know, I mean, I'm married to an amazing woman. My wife is amazing. But every time I start coming complaining to the Lord, he's like, Lord's like, Daniel, you ain't no peach. I've been bearing with you for a long time and I'm not done with you yet. And I'm reminded, I'm like, oh, I'm such a knucklehead. I'm like, Lord, it'd be so much easier if this, and it's always not my fault. But God loves us too much to keep us like this just feel like I needed to say that. Let your spouse off the hook. My goodness. Don't lash out. Don't justify your sin because the situation is dire. Stop that stuff. God's got something else he wants to do. And it's great because Elisha says, look, I want you to hold the guy at the door. Don't let him in. I know that the king's coming right behind. Now, why the king is coming right behind, we don't know. Some scholars would say the king realized he was lashing out and he's changing his mind, he's trying to stop the guy, or he wants to see the deed, he wants to see Elisha's head because he made a rash vow about the Lord do it to me and all this stuff. Now, as you move in to chapter seven, look at what it says. It says, then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time... A seah of fine flour will be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gates of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes. You shall not eat of it. In verse three, now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when... They had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp. To their surprise, no one was there. But the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. And so they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact. Their tents, their horses and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent, they ate and drank, and they carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid. Now, in the midst of this awful situation, this section reminds us that things can happen overnight. Change can happen Overnight. Do you realize that? That change can happen overnight. See, once the king gets there, Elijah says, Hear the word of the Lord in verse 1. Tomorrow, about this time, a seah of fine flour will be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now, a seah was about seven quarts, right? So remember before you had these exorbitant prices for a donkey's head and dove poop. And now you have seven quarts of flour for just a shekel. A lot more. Two is of barley for the animals for a shekel. These were not only good prices, they were better prices than they were used to. And what we find is that this officer, this man who the king, he leaned on his hand, he was one of his advisors, this officer said, dude, if the Lord were to open up windows in heaven, how could this thing be? And Elisha says to him, well, you know, you will see it with your own eyes, but you're not going to be able to eat of it. So God's inside man, Elisha, gives this prophecy. Prophecy. Tomorrow about this time, in 24 hours' time, everything's going to be different. And somebody there's like, no, 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 it's not. And then the scene moves to these four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. Now remember, people who had leprosy, they were separated from the camp. Part of it was for health, and part of it was also for the spiritual dynamics, if you've studied through Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and now Deuteronomy with us here. We talk about all that stuff, so you understand why this is there. They're outside the gates, and they're to thinking to themselves, listen, we're in trouble, we're outside the gates. If we go inside the gates, we're gonna die. Maybe we should just go to the Assyrians. We'll go to the Syrians, worst case scenario, they kill us. Because things are awful. It's like we'll go see the Syrians. And then they go on out to see the Syrians, and guess what? Nobody's there. They're all gone. Their tents are there. All their stuff is there, but the Syrians are gone. And what we learn in this is that the Lord caused the Syrian army to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses. They heard a noise of a great army, and they fled. They thought that the Hittites and the Egyptians were hired by the Israelites to come and conquer them, and so the Syrian army fled. Now, the Lord did that. It's amazing. In the last chapter... He blinded and then they opened their eyes and now he made them hear a noise that wasn't really there. And my friends, this is why I believe that we need to hold on to the fact that change can happen in a moment.
0: Jesus is real The situation in today's message seemed hopeless, but it wasn't the end of the story. God came through in a supernatural way taking the enemy away and providing for his people. Pastor Daniel reminded us that supernatural intervention still happens today. I am so excited that you are part of the Jesus is Real
1: family. Thanks for listening to the radio program. Did you hear? I also wrote a book, and I want my brand new book, Upward, Inward, and Outward, Loving God, Loving Yourself, and Loving People. I want it to bless you and bless everyone you know. Jesus, in his greatest commandment, said we all live in three directions— Upward, Inward, and Outward. And we want to grow and learn that the art of living is loving in all these three directions. So get the book
0: wherever you like to buy books. And I'll see you guys soon. Upward, Inward, Outward. Loving God, Loving Yourself, and Loving People is a fascinating book that we know will help you in your walk with Jesus. Please visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to receive your very own signed copy. When you support Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $15 or more. Again, a special signed copy of Upward, Inward, Outward, Loving God, Loving Yourself, and Loving People is available at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will remind us how important it is to share the message of love and hope we've received. We need to let God fill our hearts with his redeeming grace and allow it to spill over into every encounter we have. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled Inside Man, the Life of Elisha. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.